रोशनी का करवा My name is George Abraham, and uh, welcome to this edition of Iway Conversations. Uh, my guest today is a very special lady from Hyderabad, and her name is Payal Kapoor. Hi, Payal, and welcome to Iway Conversations. Hi, George. Hi, George. Thanks for having me here. So, uh, Payal, uh, you know, one thing we have in common is both of us had meningitis. Of course, I had meningitis when I was ten months old, and uh, and and um, that impacted my retina, my optic nerves, and uh, uh, right right from the time I can remember, I had a very very strong visual impairment. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with uh, meningitis. Uh yours was still i think you were really young to even realize what meningitis was all about uh, but in my case uh, i was uh, you know old enough uh, and aware of uh, all the pain that uh, went with it i was uh, just short of 22 years old when i uh, first had uh, this problem and uh, in my case unfortunately the meningitis was not even diagnosed there was no official diagnosis of uh, meningitis which uh, was what caused uh, half the problem and uh, it eventually um, you know ended up with me losing uh, my eyesight my uh, uh, spinal fluid pressure rose because of that and because it was undiagnosed and untreated and it hit the entire sensory system of my brain which uh, in a span of a week took, took from me my uh, eyesight which was uh, until then uh, 2020 and brought it down to zero Yeah. Uh, it impacted my other senses as well you know my sense of uh, taste and smell my hearing uh, as well as my sense of touch so it pretty much uh, destroyed um, my entire sensory system to a great extent total pile lockdown completely yes. <laughs> i know i know we have to be with the time so in this palace yes it was a total pile lockdown all right <laughs> so then then uh, then uh, then but you you are speaking now you can hear now so how did all that happen <laughs> yes correct i think we had this discussion once earlier also about how fortunately my speech wasn't taken from me so uh, i um, uh, i think it it, it was about uh, almost uh, one full year that was spent like this with uh, you know treatments and uh, with um, a hospitalization which was two stints for over two months and then uh, you know i fly into uh, bombay and uh, consult uh, some of the country's country's best neurologists and things like that so basically um at that point in time the best uh, neurologists of the country uh, sort of uh, told me that i would uh, eventually vegetate and uh, you know nothing could be done for me and uh, he wanted to perform a surgery on my spine and that kind of stuff and my dad told her that uh, told him that no please uh, we'll take her as a vegetable it doesn't matter right um little did he know or little did we know uh, that life would again you know turn and this time for the better yeah uh, some alternate therapy um, some uh, you know homeopathy 
acupuncture and all of those kind of things helped me um, recover. Uh, if you ask me today exactly what helped, I don't know. But uh, my uh, period, you know, over a period of time, my sense of uh, smell and taste recovered gradually. Um, my hearing recovered gradually. Uh, so now, uh, 28 years later, I can hear from one year um, about 99%. I have some amount of perception in my left ear, uh, although I can't uh, really hear. It doesn't have the, you know, speech part sort of still tuned in. My yeah, I, sight I, is still zero. Yeah, I remember when I met you first. I had to make sure that I sat on the right side. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yes, I still, I still have to make these, make these very, very frantic gestures when people are trying to say something to me. I make these frantic gestures and, you know, tell them that I can't hear you from my left, please speak from my right. Correct. So I've been uh, lucky in that regard. Um, this is what has uh, basically helped me uh, a great deal. So and I now feel like I'm okay. Right, so let's step back a little bit uh, before mm -hmm. 22. Let, tell us a little bit about your life before you were 22. Uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood, your family, your, uh, your, your schooling. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. I mean, you know, till, till 22, uh, everything was uh, uh, fabulous and really interesting. And uh, I was a regular, normal, uh, you know, child growing up in uh, Hyderabad. Uh, uh, my parents had settled here in Hyderabad. Right. Uh, basically, uh, my dad had a job here and uh, I grew up in Hyderabad uh, with my parents and a younger sister who's four years younger than I am. Right. And uh, we've been in Hyderabad all our lives. So I studied in uh, an all-girls school called Nasser, which was a uh, wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, uh, I think the basis, the foundation of uh, who I am today was uh, probably laid there. Love for language, love for writing, love for, um, you know. Um, Talking. A lot of things <laughs> came from there. <laughs> Continued. Basically, I've been in Hyderabad all my life. And... Uh, with the usual things to do, uh, usual hobbies that young girls would, uh, you know, go with reading and meeting friends and, of course, talking. You would know that. So. Right. Any any, uh, any, 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 any romance that you had before your... Um... <laughs> yes. there, was, there was just, there was just a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of romance with a lot of uh, romantic literature that, you know, makes, <laughs> makes you the usual starry-eyed teenager. <laughs> Hoping, hoping for some fabulous things in life. And I, um, you know, did my hotel management and uh, it was a fabulous three years of a lot of hard work, like really put through the ringer. But yeah. it was it was extremely interesting. And in fact, I was uh, to be married before uh, this entire thing went down and, uh, you know, I fell ill. Um, uh, I was I was to be married in the next three four months, but uh, unfortunately, after this, uh, I think uh, it was just too much to take. So it eventually didn't happen that way. And uh, then then that's it. I mean, life sort of uh, uh, just went on uh, so, in in a totally different way. So at twenty one, uh, you know, when you were kind of uh, finishing your uh, finishing your hotel management, and I believe you started working as well. Yes, yes, I did. Yes. Uh, you were working with the Oberoi group at that point of time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at that point of time, uh, if you were to kind of think back and look ahead, what was your uh, dreams for, say, you are now around uh, half a century old. 
So, so what did you think you would be at this time of, of, of your life? Uh, well, definitely, if I had continued working, I think I would be uh, probably like uh, a lot of uh, my peers, uh, um, either, either, you know, heading some, uh, some hotel uh, in or some big chain somewhere, or uh, maybe uh, being, a, you know, an entrepreneur, probably running my own uh, uh, restaurant, or uh, since cooking is such a passion with me, and, you know, knowing about food is such a passion with me, I would definitely have been somewhere there. Um, that's, that's, I think, basically, or I could have also, I was a very people's person, which is something I didn't realize until I actually started working at the front desk. Right. Uh, how much I enjoyed people. I had always envisioned myself a chef. Yes. Not just because of my love for food and love for, you know, cooking and the ingredients, but also because I was people shy, or at least I thought I was people shy and, oh God, how am I going to speak with somebody and things like that. But uh, I stepped onto the uh, reception desk and uh, after the initial uh, few, uh, you know, training in uh, jitters and everything, I realized that I was ready to fly and I uh, enjoyed my interactions with uh, my guests and uh, people who came in. So, so yes, who knows? I could have probably been a PR person somewhere. Don't know, George. I would have definitely been out there doing something or maybe become an activist. Who knows? <laughs> Today. Yeah, maybe fighting for another cause though. Absolutely. Some, something or the other would have come my way, but I know that I would have been sitting at home and doing nothing for a fact. Right. So then uh, meningitis struck and you were uh, bedridden for a while. So uh, how did your journey resume post meningitis? Uh, long journey there again. It was a long and uh, very scary, dark and lonesome road um, for me. Uh, you know, I say lonesome because uh, this was something that I had to do on my own and I was going through on my own. Although uh, I have to admit that I was uh, probably one of the most fortunate people because uh, I had an extremely uh, supportive um, you know, environment around me. My parents uh, were extremely supportive. They almost gave up their lives to ensure that I got all the attention and all the care that I needed. Uh, my sister who was still, you know, who had just entered her graduation um, also did a lot of running around with me. So there were a lot of sacrifices uh, um, uh, which, which uh, really uh, brought me out of the entire despair that I had fallen into and... Uh, yeah, you could call it maybe sacrifices or acts of love, maybe. It was acts of love, definitely. Yeah. I feel, I feel uh, it was a sacrifice because it was, uh, uh, you know, they, their lives um, almost came to a standstill because of me. It was an act of love. Uh, we yeah. were always a family who stuck together and we were a nuclear family who had lived on our own away from, you know, extended family and relatives and things like that. So through thick and thin, we, it was just the four of us. So right. it was definitely an act of love, but um, so that's basically it. It was a long road, uh, six years, I would say, uh, of, of uh, complete denial because I had been told that I would probably see again. So it was, uh, you know, you cling to that little hope and, uh, uh, wish that uh, it comes true for you, but it wasn't happening day after day after day. And people kept popping, um, you know, meaning, meaning, uh, well-meaning friends would come and say, okay, why don't you learn Braille? And, you know, Braille was a dreaded word. It meant that I had to accept that I was blind and yes. no, I 
kicked and fussed about it and i said no i didn't want to do it at all um, so, then so I, one one question here uh, mm -hmm. you know you said you had lost most of your senses when uh, the dreaded disease struck uh, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, how quickly did you regain your hearing and your sense of smell and uh, touch and so on it was uh, it was a, a gradual process i think my first uh, uh, the first sound that i heard i still remember was the sound of a crow somewhere far away in the background it almost felt like uh, you know um, that my ear had been blocked with air or water or something like that and it popped and i could hear a far away sound i think it was about 5 months down the line after i uh, first lost it right um but the progress from there was very gradual so i think it was over a period of about maybe 2 years that i actually started hearing clearly and uh, uh, my sense of smell uh, and taste developed because initially it was all it wasn't uh, okay i mean you know um i couldn't taste things completely <laughs> today again today with the covid uh, entire covid test of uh, you know losing your smell and taste i know exactly what it's like so it doesn't come back very easily it takes a lot from you i know i know i think about 2 years perhaps george i think uh, about then and then your mind took another 4 years yes totally my body it was there was no absolutely no cooperation over there my my body fought my mind all the time so how and, did uh, how did that change how did the change of the mind happen meaning did somebody well, kind I, of meet you well i think you? i got fed up i think i just got tired of being miserable i think i just got tired of uh, you know having to depend on people for everything uh, starting from how to apply toothpaste on my toothbrush to you know being led around everywhere to somebody reading uh, my books because i'm a very very uh, um you know voracious reader and um, i loved my books and everything was taken away so someone used to read to me someone took me out i got i think basically just got fed up of uh, of going down the rabbit hole it had to yeah. stop somewhere in all this probably you also put on some weight i guess no actually i didn't you know i lost weight because i had put on all the weight with all the steroids that had been pumped into me lots okay. of them okay. i had become a blimp but uh, once all of that starts uh, receding and then because there was that you know little bit of depression over there also with this entire um uh, you know mark i won't be able to see how will life go on kind of thing so luckily for me fortunately for me i didn't go towards the binge food way i went the other way so <laughs> it it sort of kept it all in check for me yes so so tell us the story of the turn around then how did it all turn around after 6 years uh like i said i after i got i mean i got fed up and then um those well meaning friends who had always always hovered in the periphery and sometimes were brave enough to come in front of me when i didn't pitch a fit about it uh, one of them knew this um, you know this gentleman who uh, i had also heard of from other friends who was blind himself he was called mario thompson he was blind himself yeah. and uh, ran this organization called caring aid for the visually impaired and he helped uh, he rehabilitated people with vision yeah. loss right um so they said why don't you at least go and meet him have a conversation with him and see what is to come of it Right. and uh, that's what i did i think i it was it was time this was the road that was going to finally turn at the crossroads so i went and i met him and he was an extremely energetic and uh, 
very, very, uh, you know, uh, positive and an extremely uh, convincing man who told me that there was life outside of this entire uh, space that I had, uh, you know, locked myself into this little bubble. Yes. And uh, that's when he showed me and he told me all the options that there were. And he told me that there were audio books I could listen to. And there was, um, you know, reading and writing I could do with learning trail. And I could do all the things that I did with a little bit of difference. So I think that sort of um, uh, helped me, uh, you know, put things into perspective and look at a new future for myself. So, uh, uh, so this was the advice he gave you, but uh, did he also help you with uh, uh, helping you uh, get into that uh, new way of living and looking at life? Yes, yes, yes. He, uh, uh, he, he did. He did. It wasn't easy again, like I said. It was, uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of things that were right in front of me that, uh, you know, I wasn't willing to see. But uh, this entire, it, it, this also was going to take time because at every uh, juncture, there was a, there was like a, a, a hurdle. Learning Braille was not easy. Yeah. And, and you have to remember that my sense of touch was still patchy. So reading Braille was not uh, a cakewalk at all. I had to figure out which hand I could use to be able to read because my right hand, even today, 28 years later is... Um, not the best, although I do everything with it, but it, the, the sensation is still not all there. Right. So there was a hurdle at every step. There was something that, you know, stopped me from moving ahead, but uh, he was just, uh, I think he just overruled everything I said and everything I wanted to do. And uh, he cajoled and he forced and he laughed at me. I still remember he, I, he's still, I'm still in touch with him today. Yeah. And uh, he tells me, he said, he asks me, was I, you keep writing about me and saying that I'm, you know, made you cry. I said, of course you made you, I made you cry. And every time you made me cry, but every time I cried, you laughed. You thought it was extremely funny. Mm. But all of it in the end was uh, what, the minute you start getting familiar with something, the minute you start figuring out your way around anything new. And once you have that in your grip, yeah. Then, then I think your uh, that that confidence which disappears when you're still trying new things sort of slowly reappears, and it makes that um, you know uh, that things that much better. Your sense of self improves. Your own belief in your own self uh, improves, and uh, I think things start looking up from there. And uh, my uh, you know deep depths of depression and uh, despair, I think, was slowly sort of ending, and I was moving out of that rabbit hole upwards. Yeah, and I think it's about uh, being willing to get out of your comfort zone, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't know what I have a do. problem. Yeah, I have a problem with new beginnings with most things. I think that's true with everybody, meaning most people are scared of new beginnings. There are so many uncertainties uh, and so many questions that, um, you know, kind of challenge It's the fear you. of the unknown, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. So, uh, uh, along with Mario Thompson, what were the things that you learned? What were the discoveries you made about yourself? Uh, uh, for one, uh, I think the most uh, beautiful thing was that I, uh, I realized that I didn't need to be able to see to do everything. Yeah. I think uh, that, is, that is probably one of the biggest discoveries for a person who started with not wanting to sit on a friend's kinetic Honda because she thought 
uh, you know, she'd fall off it because I used to, when she first told me, why don't you, and I had ridden with her right through because we studied together and we used to live close by and we used to go and come together. She told me, come, I'll take you for a ride. And I said, no, how will I get onto that bike? I'll fall. She said, are you crazy? How will you fall? But I didn't want to do it. I realized then uh, when it came to eating uh, at a restaurant for the first time, I was petrified that, you know, I'd make a mess and I'd spill everything and my food would not go in my mouth and my noodles will go into someone else's plate and yeah, yeah. all those concerns I had. But I suddenly realized I didn't need to do, worry about any, any of it because I didn't need to see to be doing everything, you know, from my own things uh, to, to things for other people. So I think that was the most fabulous discovery um, to know that uh, uh, your sight was, after all, not indispensable. It was not something that you couldn't live or work without. Yeah, that's so a beautiful thought. That. That's a beautiful yeah. thought, actually, that uh, your sight disappears doesn't mean that you can't do things. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I realized, and fortunately for me, over a period of time, as my sense of taste and smell developed, uh, I, I realized that uh, there was so much more of the world that I actually took in. You know, I always say this in my talks and when I'm talking to people about it, that's the one thing that comes to my mind that most people tend to depend only on their eyesight. They're always looking, you know, seeing things. They're not absorbing anything. So yeah. I always tell them to close their eyes and you want to actually enjoy your food. Shut your eyes and just, you know, taste it. You want to smell your surroundings. Um, you know, especially when you're traveling or you're going out somewhere, shut your eyes because that's the only time you will take in something. So, um, so that's basically, uh, those are a few things which were, I think, the most wondrous, um, you know, uh, discoveries that I made for myself. And of course, my, sense, my strength, I realized that I had a resilience that uh, I didn't know um, was very, very well uh, present within me because, um, as much as I wanted to, you know, sort of just throw in the towel and say, no, I can't do this and walking, walk away, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. It's a pity that uh, people realize that they have, a, uh, they have a quality like resilience only when they are thrown into the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true, very true. I mean, it becomes so much easier, but, but then that's, I think, also probably because you're, it's never tested, right? I mean, yeah. when you're doing things, uh, unless it's tested, you don't know it's there. I think everybody realizes that they have some amount of determination and grit, yeah. but to be put to, uh, is the acid test, really, that, uh, Absolutely. That, that, that brings it out. So, uh, so when did you kind of, uh, think of getting back to working because uh, uh, I think you spent close to six to seven years uh, yes. kind of uh, uh, getting to terms with things. So when did you think of actually starting to work and what made you think that you can actually work? Uh, it was very organic actually. I was very lucky that way. It happened all happened very organically. The organization where I uh, uh, was rehabilitated, which we called CAVI, uh, um, I was still, uh, you know, going through my rehabilitation, my Braille, uh, I had learned the basics and I had done various things and I had also had my orientation with living skills and things like that. Um, when uh, uh, Mario, uh, you know, moved, he was moving to the UK and at that point in time, um, he told me, he said, okay, the rest of your uh, 
uh, brain learning you can do on your own because I've seen that you can manage and things like that and uh, you don't need my help anymore. All the books are available. You can sit in go ahead with this. And also, since he was moving, he needed somebody to be there to do things with him. So they were the people who first, um, you know, hired me uh, part time to begin with, and then later full time. And uh, I became a resource person over there. And I realized that it was so simple to sort of, uh, you know, give what you receive. I was on the one hand, I had received this from them. And it was so simple to just pass it on. Right. So a little bit about this organization, does it still exist? And uh, when you took it over, or when you started working there, was uh, Mario still, uh, was Mario the guy who started and set it up and continued to run it? Or what is the, how, how did it all work? Well, he, uh, uh, the, the, he did set up the organization, yes. But uh, when he moved on, um, uh, someone else took it over um, yeah. uh, from his family itself. His brother uh, was used to, used to work with us and things like that. Yeah. Um, then I think um, over a period of time, it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. But over a period of time, I think for the six years that I was there, he, uh, they worked with, uh, you know, he worked and then uh, he went away and somebody else came in and things like that. I was there for almost six and a half years. Uh, I think, and then just like any small organization that was, uh, you know, funded by uh, a certain group of people, they also ran into uh, some sort of funding issues and things like that. Okay. And uh, I think eventually they scaled down to becoming simply a library or something like that. And they couldn't have, um, I couldn't, uh, you know, work there anymore, and uh, they decided to sort of shut the organization down. And um, as much as I don't know much about the organization, but yes, I still keep in touch with him from time to time. And uh, um, uh, I share he's he's very happy and very proud of uh, you know my journey to see where uh, I started because he saw me uh, right at the beginning. And uh, 28 years later, I think it. Uh, I've sort of done him proud, even if I say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> I wait, yeah, Roshani ka karbam.